Hey, it's good to see you out there. If you're here today, raise your hand. Well, it looks like most of you are here. And uh, if you're just glad to be anywhere, raise your hand. Yeah? Uh, it's good for me to be here back home. Uh, we had a great time in the early service. And actually, Debbie was here for that service. And she heard the message, didn't think she could stand it twice. So she left. And, but uh, some of y'all knew I was coming. And you came anyway. Thank you. Uh, the main thing is the Lord Jesus Christ is here, and the Holy Spirit's here, and Father's here. You're here. We're going to have a good time today. And it's a blessing to be here. We're spending the last nine years, as Brad was saying, in, in the, uh, on the mission field over at Pelzer and Williamston and Anderson County that way. And it really is uh, quite a field. Uh, we have the opportunity to talk to roughly 300 people a year just through one ministry that's going on, Brad, over there. But we miss Brad. On these days, the Lord's going to send him back to us some way or other. Yeah, you're going to make a good director of missions. You know that? <laughs> but we loved him, appreciated him and his ministry and among us. And then I know you're enjoying it too. So it's great to be here. You'll find Philippians 3 and go to that with me today. <clears throat> I considered and prayed about this. I wanted so bad to go into the Psalm 46 and and just wear out this country and what's going on in our world today. I'm serious. I, I just, uh, I have done that. And I, then I began praying so hard about sharing with you. And, and then in other places where I, I have the opportunity to, to preach and share. I pray about it, study about it, think about it. But, you know, with the condition the world is in, you're aware of it. Unless you've been under a rock the last few months, you're aware of our our country is disintegrating in some places. Uh, the people of God, I think, are growing stronger. We're more determined than ever to be Christians, and the church stands strong. I believe that. Uh, and, I, and we're so tempted to stand in public places like this, especially our churches, the freedom we have, and proclaim Jesus Christ and the right way to go and what's going on in our country, and we're against it. But then praying about that, the Lord spoke to me in my heart, and he said, listen, Mike, I've handled this world. <laughs> I'm the ancient of days before there were days. I'll handle this world. I handled Sodom and Gomorrah, and I'll handle it again. I've handled the Roman Empire, and I'll handle it again. You let me take care of the world and these problems, and you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're here to do today and help you in your, your walk and your life and, and stay on track. That's, that's what Paul wanted us to do. It's what the Lord wanted us to do. And Paul wrote to that effect. He wrote to the Christian church. He wrote to the churches he planted. And listen, he, he was a church planter. He, he planted the church at Philippi. And, you know, it's a great example of church planting. You go in, you lead people to Christ, you gather them together, and, and you, you start a church. And that is what Southern Baptists have been doing for hundreds of years around the world and are still doing. And I'm proud of that fact that they're doing that. And many other organizations are doing that, not just us. Um, but as you know, and you may be a new Christian, new Christians, Paul was aware, new Christians are, are like babies. Uh, they have to learn from the ground up uh, and be trained. And you have to teach them. You have to warn them. And it takes the Holy Spirit to, to help a new Christian stay in the saddle. Uh, 
And be faithful. It takes faithful people like you, faithful men and women, to, to teach newborn believers. Paul knew that. He, he gathered a group in Philippi. And think about this. Yeah, you had to have at least 10, 10 people or 10 men to form a synagogue, to form a church. And they didn't have 10 men in Philippi. Philippi was, was developed and coming along as a city right at the beginning of the Roman Empire. So they were very proud to be affiliated with the Roman Empire because it improved their city, their community. Soldiers were coming in. They built a fort. They built a garrison there. Uh, so the people were glad to become Romans. But there was a group of Christians there in Philippi. And so they were challenged, as you imagine. And Paul now writing from prison. Think about it. He's in prison. Epaphroditus is sent from the church of Philippi to Paul. To take him a gift, I don't know what it was. He didn't really need money. It might have been a blessing of food or, or some clothing. I'm not exactly sure. But that's not the point. Epaphroditus goes almost at the risk of his life. In fact, he became very sick. He may have been injured almost to the point of death, Paul says, in this, I think, the second chapter. And so he sends Epaphroditus back to Philippi with this letter we call the Philippian letter, the Philippians. He sends him back so that the church at Philippi won't think that Paul didn't appreciate him coming. But he sent him back to encourage the church with this letter. And so you're going to be encouraged with it today. I wish I could preach the entire book. I don't have time to do that because one thing is we've got to beat the Presbyterians to the restaurant today. So <laughs> we're going to go through this. I hope God will open your eyes and, and bless you as he did me. Beginning of chapter 3, Paul goes through and states his impressive resume. What a resume. And what a background Paul had to be able to use as a foundation to write and encourage new believers. And then in verse 12, I'm going to start there, verse 12. Just right off the cup, he says this. And I'm reading from a, probably a different translation or variation of it. But I've studied this in two other translations. So, but I enjoy this one, the way he says it. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. Now, in that phrase, in many translations, it carries over the concept of a runner, a sprinter, in fact. And a sprinter, folks, is somebody who runs short distances fast. I don't know how far 100 meters is, but he's talking about Staying in the race. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Let me keep going. He says, I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Just this morning, having coffee on the deck with Debbie, you know, I said, you know, last night I read that and I was thinking, if Christ Jesus has got a hold of Paul, why is Paul writing that? I want to lay hold of Christ Jesus because he's already laid hold of me. And I said, you know what, last night I struggled with that a little bit. Why did he say it that way? If, he's got, if Christ has a hold of him, why is he trying so hard to lay hold of Christ? And you know what we came up with this morning? It's the Holy Spirit. Sometimes Paul let go. You ever let go? Do you ever have that moment where you just kind of get discouraged and give up and Paul let go. Think of all the reasons he had to let go. Think of all the reasons Baker has to let go. You may have the times we just let go. We get discouraged. And he says, 
I, I want to lay hold of him because he has also laid hold of me. 13 says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus in my life. Mm. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, are you mature? As many as are mature, have this in mind. And if, any, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained. So in other words, what I've already attained, that's what you to know. That's not the end. You know, well, I've been going to church 70 years. I've been going to church 50 years. I've been going five years. Hey, man, I'm in the group. Nuh-uh. It's not the end. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. You know, there are rules in the Christian life. Uh, this is God's direction book for us. And, and you may think of it as rules. They're not that hard. They're not grievous. In fact, they're helpful. But new Christians begin to read and they, they learn things. And if the Holy Spirit convicts them, it changes their lives. I remember being in Greenwood in a revival. It had been about 20 years ago. And there was a man there in the church in his 70s who was saved. Now, I don't think 70s is a very old person anymore. 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago. But I remember this man was gloriously saved. Came down the aisle and they baptized him. And the next week, he began reading his Bible. He got into Leviticus and he began to read about some of the rules God had placed on God's people. And he still had not grown spiritually mature enough in the Word. To, to, he took it literally. He took it for granted. And he, he read something that disturbed me. And he came bursted in the pastor's study. He was a friend of mine. Came bursted in the pastor's study. Didn't even knock, didn't get an appointment, just came in. He said, preacher, I got to talk to you. He said, okay, sit down. He said, what's the problem? He said, I just read that there's things in here I'm not supposed to eat and things I can't eat. What can I eat now? And so he began to explain to him that the Old Testament rules and Old Testament laws, and now in this age of the evangelistic age, things are a little bit different. And he taught that man. But you see, he was seeking. What are the rules? There are some rules that apply to your life. Let me continue. He goes on verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example. Now, who would say that if they weren't walking the right way? Who would say that? Paul could say it. And note that those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now I tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Folks, we've got people in this country now who are the enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. And they'll discourage anybody from believing, following, or doing, or saying anything publicly about Jesus. We must not let that happen. We must preach the gospel on the streets, in our cars, in the stores, Walmart, from the pulpits. We must not be silenced. For the cause of Jesus Christ. But Paul was facing that. He was living in the Roman Empire. 
And listen to what he says about these people. He describes them for, the, for you. Whose end is destruction. Whose God is their belly. And whose glory is in their shame. Today, people are not ashamed. They've gotten accustomed to sin. They're not ashamed of what they say. They're not ashamed of what they're doing. And they're proud of it. Their glory is in their shame. And they, and, uh, they set their minds on earthly things. And then the ending, he says, for our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven. From which we eagerly wait for the Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the Holy Spirit preserving this powerful passage of Scripture for our hearts to use here today, thousands of years later, to teach us how to live in this world where there's so much ambiguity where there's so much doubt, people are running amok, confused. Lord God, help us to stay on course, to stay in the race. And thank you for this encouragement today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What I saw in this is I study scripture. and I, Admittedly, I'm not a theologian, not a trained theologian. But I talk and know a lot of trained theologians. And I read and I study and I pray. But what I do is I'll look at a passage of Scripture or a verse of Scripture, and sometimes I'll just stare at it. Do you all ever do that? I'll just stare at it, and I'll keep reading it and staring at it. And the Holy Spirit begins to paint a picture for me, so I may see things a little bit different than the average guy that stands up here. I don't know. But this is what I saw, that the Christian life, folks, your Christian life is about racing. You're in a race. You may be winning, you may not be, but the word press on has the, the meaning of a sprinter. There's a goal line. And the idea is it's like he's almost there and the last breath is in his body, but he can see the goal line and he's going to make it to that goal line. Is that the way you feel sometimes? I'm going to keep going. I'm just barely going to fall across that goal line. And that's the idea Paul is talking about. No matter what, keep running. I said something about this a couple of years ago in a church, actually Cedar Grove, and there was a gal there. I asked this question, has anybody ever won a race? And this young girl from BHP did, and then the folks around her said, you know what, she's a state champion. I think it was the 100 meter. State champion. And I thought, boy, that was something. I'd never had anybody raise their hand and say, yeah, I won a race. And she had, and then I got to thinking in my mind, so they didn't hear it because I was thinking it real quick in my mind, 100 meters, that isn't very much, is it? I think I ran 100 meters last summer when I stepped on a yellow jacket nest. <laughs> so I outran them. Man, does anybody here ever win a race? Anybody here in the room ever win a race? Have you? You won a race? Yeah. It, yeah. Has anybody ever won a race and, and didn't get the prize? I mean, think about that one now. You win, but you don't get a prize. A few years ago, I was asked to go do help with a revival up in Boone, North Carolina. A friend of mine was a pastor up there, and we got up there on Friday night, and he said, you know, tomorrow, I don't know what we were going to do, 
But he said, I, I've rented a canoe. I said, really? He said, yeah, we're going to float down the, the new river. flows north out of Boone, North Carolina. I said, well, man, I don't know if I brought any clothes for that kind of thing. He said, don't worry about it. I got us some football jerseys. I said, well, okay, I, I can wear a football jersey. And, and sure enough, he had a canoe. The next morning at daylight, we put on these jerseys, had numbers on the front, had numbers on the back, just football jerseys. And the wives, Debbie was there and his wife, they went downriver about 10 miles or so to pick us up and meet us down there at the end of wherever we were going. So we put in at daylight. I mean, crows were just starting to call and sun was coming up, little clouds coming off the river. It was really nice. We got in that canoe, pushed off, started down the river. We, we, we went about two miles and we noticed uh, some cars and trucks on the right side in the field looked like they were going to tailgate. They were getting tables out and some food out and, and the little kids came running down, began to wave, and we waved back at them and, and somebody uh, stepped out of the truck, I think it was a man, and he said, hey, hey, how y'all doing? You're doing good. You're doing good. And I said, I know that. Thank you. We're doing fine. And I, I asked the preacher, I said, do you know these people? He said, I've never seen them. I don't know who they are. We go on down river, and, and then over here in this field is a group of people. And again, it looks like they're tailgating, except there was about 10, 15 vehicles. And they were piling stuff out there, and they saw us coming. Somebody yelled, there's somebody coming. And they waved and yelled, and everybody comes down, and, and they start clapping. I said, what in the world is going on? He said, I have no idea. And the further we went down, the larger the crowds got until about two or so hours into the, into the trip, we began to approach a bridge that crossed the New River. It was just a state road with a bridge. But over to the side of that bridge in the pasture, there was an aluminum grandstand set up. And there were about 50 people sitting in the grandstands. There were picnic tables all over the place. And I said, you sure you don't know what's going on, preacher? He said, I don't know. Well, about that time, we saw some guys with black bands on their arms, and they saw us and then yelled. Somebody yelled, here comes the first ones. <laughs> this couldn't happen to just the everyday person. Only me could this happen to. And I said, I asked the preacher, I said, first one What? He said, I do not know. And the, then these guys who were obviously referees or something began to wave us over to these little docks. And I told the preacher, I said, listen, do not pull in there. Whatever you do, don't pull in there. And as we got close to the bridge, which is about as far from here, that balcony, this is the truth. I'm telling you the truth. There was a trolley that came out on the bridge. There was a news anchor man, which I recognized from TV. And on the camera, it said, ABC, Wide World of Sports. <laughs> Folks, we had put in two hours ahead of a nationally sanctioned canoe race. <laughs> the truth. Well, we went under that bridge like we'd been shot out of a cannon. They were yelling and screaming at us. Uh, on this side of the bridge, we was heroes. The other side of the bridge, we was zeros. <laughs> we laughed and talked about that for years, but the truth is, you know, if we had known about it and had done it right, maybe signed up and registered, we could have been winners. We could have been winners. I don't know what trophy they were giving away, but we could have been winners. Second Timothy, Paul writes this, I've fought 
a good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. A crown of righteousness is laid up for me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. But not only to me, but to all who love his appearing. You know, there's people who are kind of worried about his appearing because they've not been in the race. They're not in the race. And they don't know how to get in the race. Let me tell you, it's easy. Just sign up. Just register. Just got to do it right if we're going to be involved. Your pastor came to deer hunt with me one time, Keith. It's been a few years ago. And uh, we had a place over off of Highway 20 gated. I may have told you the story. If I have, just laugh like you've never heard it because it hurts my feelings if you don't laugh at it. And we got, he got there, actually drove up, and Lisa was driving him in her car. I said, uh-oh, Mama done brought the preacher to hunt. Well, he got out and came over and said, I got a little problem. I said, what is I don't have a license. And I uh, couldn't get a license. I just couldn't buy one. I don't, I, Walmart couldn't get anybody to sell me one. I said, well, don't worry about it. You just happen to be with the right guy. Because I have the 24-7 number for the DNR with me. He said, you do? Well, what are we going to do? I said, we're just going to call them. They'll sell you a license over the phone, give you a provisional number, and send your license to you later. He's probably old enough now to get one of those lifetime licenses, isn't he? I got one. But at any rate, then he didn't have it. So we made the call. They gave him a license number. And we went, opened the gate and went on hunting. I took him, put him over there on the side of the mountain where I knew he probably wasn't going to see anything anyway. <laughs> now, Steve, that's what you do. You put him over there where you just hope he don't. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I wanted him to get a nice one. And I went over in another place. And actually that night I shot a buck and a coyote at the same time. He thought I was in a war over there. He didn't know what was going on. Came back out. It was dark. I picked him up. And we drove back up to the gate and it was locked. And in the dark, I'll never forget, sitting there saying, Keith, you know, you got registered at the gate tonight, didn't you? He said, yeah, I did. I said, you know, just think about it. There are a lot of people who are going to be surprised when they get to the pearly gates. And they think they're going to get registered at the gate. He said, yep, not going to happen, is it? I said, no, it doesn't happen that way. You're not going to get registered at the gate. People you know who are lost today, friends, relatives, neighbors, they need to sign up here. They need to put their faith in Christ here. They've got to do it right. Paul said, everyone who competes in the games, they train with strict discipline. You know, running this Christian race is discipline. You come to church. You have to get up, get dressed, make yourself come to Sunday school. Come to revival, come to the things that God has planned for you. It takes some strict discipline to run this race. And you're doing it. Some people who are in this race run for a crown that's perishable. These are wreath leaves. They'd win a race and they'd give them a wreath of leaves they could walk around town. Everybody knew they'd won the race for a couple of days till the wreath dried out and they just threw it away. But Paul says, but we run for a crown that is imperishable. We're running for Jesus Christ and for his kingdom. Unfortunately, Paul admits it. I admit it. You know it. There are many people who are not even in this race. Not only have they not even signed up, they're not in it. 
And unfortunately, as I travel around, I see that there, there are a lot of people who are attending church who are not even in this race. And you can find what he commented about that in verse 18 and 19. But it's sad to say that. They're just not even in gear. We were in Indonesia. Of course, the IMB gave us a Lottie Moon car. So we had a SUV, a Toyota-type car, and we wouldn't take care of it. So we began to learn to drive. We had to drive on the right side of that car. I may have told you this story, but it fits so well here. First time we took that thing to town, and it was a madhouse. Driving over there was a mad place. I mean, it was just, you'd take your life in your own hands, I thought. I never got over 15, 20 miles an hour, and Debbie was still screaming. It was so crowded that literally we would have to roll our windows down often, and so would our neighbors in vehicles next to us, so that we could push our mirrors in so we could get by. So the lanes didn't matter. The sidewalks didn't matter. If they needed to drive on the sidewalk, they drove on the sidewalk. It was crowded. And then when we got to the mall that night, our first time to the mall, some of our team members were already there waiting on us. We pulled up. The problem was there was, there was about three, four million cars in Palembang, but there was only one million parking places, places. And so when I got there, I just go around and around because I couldn't find a parking place. So I called my team member, and he laughed at me. He said, oh, I forgot to tell you, don't worry about finding a parking place. You're not going to find one. I said, but what am I going to do in Lottie Moon's car? He said, oh, look, you see the little guy out there with the whistle? Blowing the whistle? I said, yeah, I see him. He said, that's the parkier. He said, you just, just stop, put the car in neutral, and lock it. And y'all just get out and come on in. He'll take care of it. I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, man, there's millions of people here. He said, don't worry about it. And so I got out, and we locked it, and we stood back, and he came and got it, called another guy over. They started pushing our car. They pushed it down the street where he wanted it, put a rock under the tire so it wouldn't roll off. And what they would do is push the car back and forth so cars could come out of parking spaces. If yours was in behind a car, they'd just push you out of the way, pull that car out, push your car back. When we came out of the mall, our car was a half a mile from where we started. They'd push it up and down, <laughs> up and down the street. Hey, they're thinking, you know, it's just so much like us. We, we, we just sit around in neutral so many times. And, and the devil's just pushing us around, up and down, back and forth, and we're not locked in gear. We're not accomplishing things. We're moving here and there, but we're not getting anywhere. We're not doing anything. We have got to get going and get in gear. Because as Paul says, the crown you win will glorify Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Back in World War II, when Hitler was going to siege London, they were attacking, bombing London. Devastation was horrible. Winston Churchill came on the scene at the right time in history. They brought him back in, as you know. You know history. And he was great at giving speeches, encouraging, mobilizing people into staying encouraged. And in one of the speeches he gave, he uttered a phrase. That when I heard it, stuck with me, and I wrote it down for this message. Winston Churchill said to the British people, without 
victory, there is no survival. They didn't have a choice. They had to win. Without victory, there is no survival. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, ran the race ahead of us. And he won it all. And I'm going to tell you, without that victory, there will be no survival for you or those that you know who need Jesus Christ. So the Christian life is about racing, folks. Get in it. Trust God. Because you've trusted Him, you're trusting Jesus, you're going to win. You might get discouraged. You might turn loose sometimes, but don't give up. Keep in the race. A couple more things in the Christian life, he says, about forgetting. Hey, we all make mistakes, and there's things that are past we'd like to forget and, and just get over. I remember hearing about uh, Lou Gehrig, who played for New York Yankees. This is back in the 20s. This is way a long time ago. He came to bat, very important game. Uh, bases were loaded. He had worked the hitter, the pitcher, to three balls, two strikes. If he'd just gotten a hit, they would have won that game. Pitcher wound up, threw a sizzling strike. Lou Gehrig just stood there, heard that ball hit the mitt, didn't swing. The umpire said, strike three, you're out. Lou Gehrig turned and the first time in his career, he very seldom said anything to anybody. He was quiet. Turned to the umpire and said something. He just turned, the bat on his shoulder, and said something to the umpire. And then began walking to the dugout. And when he did that, the press was so fired up over that, they jumped the wall, began running into the umpire, ran up again, snapping pictures, trying to get pictures of the umpire with these flashbulb cameras. You remember those? I hate to say it, I still do. And the umpire was just besieged by reporters. He stopped it. He hold it. Hold it. Time out. And he yelled at Lou. He said, Lou. He stopped where he was, halfway the dugout. He said, come back over here. Come back over here. So Lee kind of shyly turned around and came back over to the umpire. He said, yes, sir. He said, please tell these guys what you said to me when I struck you out. He said, well. Ump, all I said was, I'd give $10 to have that one back. <laughs> what would you give to have some of them back to do over? I'm not going to tell you. I ain't got enough to pay for some of them. Christian life, though, Paul says, is about forgetting. You think about Paul and what he did his previous life. He persecuted the church. He stoned people. He put them in prison. Think about Paul. Here he is telling us to forget. You can only do one thing, folks, about the past. Now, all of you listen to this. Only one thing you can do about the past. Mistakes, sins, whatever. And that is ask forgiveness. You ask forgiveness. You can say, I'm sorry. You can repent. And you can turn. Completely turn around. You can do that. 
Some of the most amazing scripture in the Bible, I think. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can you back up, start over, do it again? Yes, you can. I have a good friend, young man named Kerry Sanders. You may or may not know him. I've seen him on TV recently talking about the jumpstart program that he's involved with now. But you wouldn't believe his story very quickly. I'll tell it to you just so you'll be encouraged. The time Kerry was 17 years old, he'd been in prison 17 times. Think about that. Teenager, 17 times in jail. Family of four, mother was raising four kids. They lived up near North Greenville University. He robbed so many things at North Greenville University, broke into so many cars and buildings until they put a restraining order on Kerry. They wouldn't allow him near the campus, wouldn't allow him on, on property. He finally went to prison for shooting a drug dealer. You would think... That pretty much seals it, don't you? While in prison, he attended a Bible study. Came back, and he came back, and they gave him a little New Testament. He began to read the New Testament. Sometime before 28 years old, he was saved. A professor, I think, from North Greenville began counseling with him and helping him. He said, you know what you need, son, is to, you get your GED. You need to finish high school. Oh, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. He said, yeah, you can. We're going to help you. Got his GED. Got his GED. Said, now, when you get out of, out of jail here, you need to go to college. He said, I, I can't see that, man. There's no money. I have, I have done anything in 28 years. I don't see how that's possible. He said, well, I think I can help you get into North Greenville. He said, you mean North Greenville University? He said, yeah. He said, uh-uh. They, gonna, they won't let me on campus. Man, they've got a restraint. They will not. He said, well, let me do, let me do some talk. The boy enrolled at North Greenville University. He finished the Bachelor of Ministry degree at North Greenville University. He got his Master's of Divinity at North Greenville University with God's help and these people helping him and the board. He went and talked to the board. <laughs> he went and talked to them. Before that, they men. They had to go talk to the board. He finished his Doctorate of Ministry. He is a powerhouse for the gospel of Jesus Christ and helping prisoners now come out of prison and find their way in the world. That's what he's doing. So don't tell me you can't change the past. Don't tell me you can't turn. Don't tell Carrie you can't. Change the past. And turn your life around. And do something different. Get a hold of Christ. If you let go, get back a hold. It's worth it. Yes, Christian life is about forgetting. Think about it. Let it go. Serve Christ the last couple things. Christian life is about reaching forward. That's what Paul said. I picked up Debbie's Bible. She has a study Bible in her chair and I picked up this Bible. It's about 15 pounds. There's no way she'd ever bring it to church because we'd have to have a buggy to bring it. But in that Bible, there's so many things she's written and notes she's written. And I came across one. She'd been reading Revelation 3 about the church of Sardis. And she wrote her note in that Bible, and it said this, Lord, I don't want you to find my deeds unfinished. Lord, I don't want you to find my deeds unfinished. 
Let that speak to you a minute. Are you excited about reaching forward? You say, well, wait a minute. You know what I'm saying? I've been going to Mount Area for 60 years. I've been going 30 years. I've been going 20 years. I've been teaching. I'm taking a break. I'm not, I know we all need breaks. You need a rest. Even Jesus took a break. Mark 31, 6, he told disciples, let's come apart. We haven't even had time to eat. We need to rest. You've got to rest. But you also got to get back in the saddle because it's an act of faith. And what's the prize, folks? The prize is the upward call, the upward call of Christ on your life. And that's just not for preachers and missionaries and, and evangelists. That is for God's children, you. Now, one thing for sure, yeah, he's going to call you home. One day this will be over. My dad used to say, ain't none of us going to get out of here alive. We know that. We know that. But you're here now. Look at the person next to you. Just kind of hit them in the ribs. Bump them. Go ahead. I mean it. Bump them. I'll give you permission. Why? Bump them. Are they alive? They're there, huh? Y'all look pretty much like you're breathing, looking, living. living. You're here. You're alive. Some of you might not feel like it, but you are. Debbie and I were on a return trip back to Palembo and went through Singapore. We got to Singapore. About a thousand people met us coming off of a plane. Singapore airport's like a city. So they're coming and going. We were in one mass of people, and here came a mass of people, and then this mass of people was a little Chinese lady wearing a T-shirt. So often they put English words on the T-shirts. But this one caught my eye. As she passed by, just like right here, she passed by. I read the words on her T-shirt, and it said this. I am in my time. I tried to catch her, but she was gone in a mass of people, and I wrote it down on my ticket packet. I've still got that on that ticket packet. I am in my time. I don't know if she was a Christian. I don't know anything about her. She was gone. But it sure spoke to me, and it speaks to you. Because you're alive, and you are in your time. This is the time. If you're going to serve the King of Kings, You've got to do it now. Those times moving on. Oh, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of the future. You've got to decide that whatever the future holds, it will have Jesus Christ in it. And if he's there, you should not worry. Reach out and let God use you no matter what. No matter what. I'll never forget Seeing the, the great wall of witnesses at the ILC training center in Richmond, the IMB, when you walk through there, that wall will humble you because it lists all the IMB, Southern Baptist martyrs. And on that wall is the name Bill Wallace, Dr. Wallace from Knoxville, Tennessee, where Keith's from. He was a young man who surrendered the ministry, surrendered the missions. Went into medicine, became a surgeon, wrote the mission board, said, I always thought Africa, but I'll go where you want me to go. And they said, we need you in China. Wu Chow Hospital needs a surgeon desperately. He said, I'll go to China. He went to China, the worst history period in Chinese history. They were having wars and battles over the country. Mao was trying to take over. Chinese were battling 
the Japanese to take over. And so there were wars literally going on around the hospital in Wuchow. Bullets flying, bombs falling, literally. You should read his book, Bill Wallace of China. One occasion they were in a battle around the hospital. And he'd put all the patients and staff in the basement. He had a, a patient under anesthesia. And he was, couldn't leave the guy. He was doing surgery. Bombs began to fall. He kept two nurses with him. And in the middle of that surgery, bullets were whizzing. And one of the girls got excited and said, Dr. Wallace, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. What are we going to do? He stopped and put his instruments down. And he looked at those two little Chinese girls. And he said, it doesn't matter what happens to us. What matters is that when it happens, we are found doing what God sent us to do. Boy, that's hard to live up to, but I want to. I want to, do you? I hope so. Christian life is about reaching and grabbing that. This last thing Paul mentioned, and I'm through. It's about walking, staying in line, walking as he did. Staying in line, staying with Jesus, staying with Christ, staying with the church. That's where you're safe. There's times we don't feel like it. I know we get discouraged. We're weak, we're human, we're flesh. I was coming home from the Low State Revival one time on I-26, and I came up behind a sports bus. This was one of those Greyhound types, obviously carrying a team of some type. And I pulled up behind it, and I would have gone around, except for the sign that was in the window on the left side of that big bus. That sign, that poster board, had these letters, A. G-L-E. So I just stayed behind the bus because I couldn't figure out what that meant. What was this across? I thought, surely we don't have a team in this state. And their name is Aggle. Aggle? And I tried to figure it out. I, I, I used everything I had in my memory. All girls love to eat. That didn't work. Nothing worked for me. And so finally I came up to the rest stop and I pulled on in the rest stop and forgot about it. I just couldn't figure it out. And I got back out on I-26. Before I got to the split, I caught up with that bus. And I was so glad. Really. I got up behind it and apparently the boys had gotten rambunctious, knocked the sign down and put it back up in the window. And when I got up behind it, I could see all of the letters. And there were the words, E A. G-L-E-S. Thank God we've got a team named Eagles in South Carolina. I don't know where they are. It might have been some other state. Eagles. And I just took on off on 385 toward home. And then the Spirit of God does what he always does. Baker, that's a lot of times. And you're just an aggle. You ever feel that way? Imagine what an aggle would look like. I can just see a buzzard with all his feathers picked out. <laughs> Trying to fly, you can't even get off the ground. Y'all ever feel that way? I, I'm feeling more and more agglish here lately. But he said, but you know what? You want to, you can be an eagle. You can spread those wings in faith and fly. You can fly if you want to. Don't quit. I'm trying. 
How about you? Don't quit. God has need of you. And the Lord will use you. You make yourself available to the Holy Spirit. He'll use you up. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word that tells us we're not alone. We're not the only ones with problems. Things that weigh us down make us want to quit. We know that's not from you, but from our adversary. Remind us today in this room that you've given us authority and power over our adversary. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we claim that today. And we thank you for it. Use us. Use these people. I love these people. I love this church. Thank you for its ministry. Ministry that doesn't give up, but continues to reach the world. Now, Lord, in this moment, help those respond from the pew or at the pulpit, wherever they need to do. I thank you in Jesus' name. If you're here today and you've not come to the point where you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you, you're alive. You can come do that today. I talk to people every week who have not done that, and they, and they pray that prayer, and they get saved. You can be saved today. I'd love to talk with you about that. If you're here today, perhaps the Spirit of God spoke to you about the mission field, and you've been just trying to decide, should I do that? Let me tell you, I, I've seen many, many couples sell everything they have. We were at ILC with 200 couples who were selling houses and cars to go where God was sent. You can do it. Maybe that's not what God's calling you to do. Maybe it's right here. Maybe you got convicted today and you said, hey, I'd just like to make a commitment. I'm going to take hold of Christ again today. I'd like to pray with you about that. Whatever the Lord needs you to do. You come as we stand and sing. I'll be here. You come.